Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. I have a question for you. What do you carry your phone with when you're out for a run? Maybe you don't take your phone with you, but I do. I always have my phone with me when I'm out for a run. And for the longest time, the question was, what works? Where do I put this thing when I'm out for a run? And the koala clip is the answer. It's comfortable. It doesn't move around or jostle around when you're running. I literally put my phone in it, zip it up, clip it to the back of my sports bra, tuck it on into the sports bra, and I never think about it again. Unless, of course, I want to get it out and change my podcast or song, and that's super easy to do. The Koala Clip is sweat resistant, so even if the outside of it gets sweaty from your sweaty back because it's hot and it's summer, the inside does not get sweaty and your phone stays safe. So you guys can get 10% off your order when you use the code ANOTHER10. Just go to koalaclip.com and use the code ANOTHER10. I will have a link to their website in the show notes, but that's koalaclip.com, promo code ANOTHER10. Check it out. It'll change your life. I don't know if it'll change your life, but it'll change your running. It'll make your running way more fun. All right, friends, today's a fun episode. This is episode 193, and I'm talking with Claire Gallagher. Claire Gallagher is the 2019 Western States champion. Claire lives in Colorado. She is sponsored by Patagonia. She's a Patagonia ambassador. That's what they call them. And she won her first Western States this year. The race was super exciting. She tells us all about it in the episode. It's crazy. I can't believe what she had to do in the last seven miles of that race. She's also the 2016 Leadville champion, the Leadville 100. She's won the CCC 101K She is a passionate environmentalist. She's on a mission to make this world a better place and to make sure that we're all taking care of the planet that we live in. She, to me, seems super chill, but she's also super competitive. She wants to go win these 100-mile races and has this fierce competitor in her, but she's also passionate about so much more than her running. So you'll get to hear all about that from her in this episode. Really fun getting to know Claire, and she has such a bright future, not only in the world of ultra running and trail running, but just in the activism that she's doing as well. You guys can find Claire over on Instagram. She's Claire underscore Gallagher underscore runs. And oh, by the way, thank you so much to Jenny Jurek, my friend who's also been on this podcast for connecting me with Claire. Jenny is like super kind and connects me with people that she thinks would be inspiring for the show. And I just couldn't thank her enough for doing that. These ultra runners, they are connectors because you know what? Chrissy Mayle, who's also a badass ultra runner, connected me with Jenny Jurek. So I just, I have found so much joy in um, getting to know these ultra runners who I feel like by connecting me with each other, they're giving back to the community because in return, I get to share the stories of these incredible people. So full circle here. Thank you, Jenny. And thank you, Chrissy, because you started this all when you connected me to Jenny. All right, friends, enjoy my conversation with Claire Gallagher. All right. Well, today on the podcast, we have Claire Gallagher on the show. Welcome to the show, Claire. Hi, Lindsay. Thanks so much for having me. What are you, what is your life today? What are you doing? Yeah, just uh, 
various various projects. Um, I actually work for Patagonia, um, doing like activism things and trail running things. So, yeah. Okay. So let's talk about what just happened in your life. You recently won Western States. What have you been doing since winning Western States? Let's see. It's been about a month. I, I had a kind of a whirlwind of a few weeks afterwards. Most people who have run ultras know that you don't, you can't really plan anything after an ultra race because you don't know if you're going to be like bedridden or (laughs) really sick. Um, I've been, like barely able to walk for weeks after other races. So um, I was really fortunate this time that I've recovered relatively quickly. Um, I'm able to run again and hike and things. So I've been fortunate to get into the mountains um, pretty much every weekend since since Western States. So I'm like, I feel like I'm getting away with murder, to be honest. <laughs> it's been great. Well, let's get to know you a little bit uh, before we talk more about Western States, because I have a lot of fun questions about that. But um, I just want to share with my listeners a little bit more about your life. So you went to Princeton and ran cross country and track there. What did you like? What did you compete in in college? I so I was a distance runner, so I did cross country, indoor track, outdoor track and I competed in the 1500 to um, pretty much the 5K, but I, my outdoor track event was steeplechase. Um, okay. And I was, I was not very good at it, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I never made regionals. I was close a few times, but um, I was, I think, like, I, I raced my best in cross country, but even still, it was only a few, like, you know decent races where I think I was getting close to my potential, do you, a, a pretty typical college career. <laughs> do you still follow track and field? Like, are you, were you watching the championships this weekend? I, I was last night. I got home from the mountains and, um, yeah, I was able to see like steeple and 5k and I actually was kind of freaking out in my room or my housemate was like, well, Claire, I've never seen you get excited at TV before. <laughs> <laughs> what were what race were you getting excited about the 5k? Um, yeah. Oh my gosh. Hulahan's kick is just like, what? Um, yeah, it was insane. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was, I mean, I was excited all the events. I I really do love track. Um, it's pretty fun to be not running track anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not upset that I'm not doing it, but uh, were you watching them? (laughs) I, I watched Saturday's races a little bit, um, like as much as I could, I was out with my family and like, I had just interviewed Nikki Hiltz and that's a 1500 meter runner. Mm. Oh yeah. And her episode came out like last Friday. And so I was so excited to see what she was going to do. And I, I got home and literally ran inside to the living room, turned the TV on and caught them coming down the home stretch. It was so exciting. Oh, it's so awesome. That was such a big deal for her to make the world team. And, you know, I'd asked her in the interview, I was like, um, I, I said, I think I said, I know your goal is to win, but like, what, you know, what are your goals beyond that? And she was like, well, really my goal is to make top three. And so it was so cool to see that dream come true for her at such a young age too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's incredible. (laughs) So I didn't get to catch anything last night though, because I was just running around with my kids and stuff. And then I 
totally actually even spaced it. And then I saw some people posting about um, the steeplechase finals and um, Mm -hmm. that was super cool. So, all right. Do you like tell us, I know you went to teach in Thailand and that's Mm -hmm. kind of where you started your ultra running thing. So talk to us about your love for running and how track and field turn into um, you teach in Thailand and then you run your first 50 miler and where does it go from there? Yeah, I always loved running. I mean, it sort of has dictated a lot of my life. Um, Like it is what brought me to Princeton in a way. And, but then I sort of fell out of love with it in, in college, just, I think a pretty typical, you know, minor burnout situation. Um, So moving to a tiny fishing village middle of Southeast Asia, (laughs) I thought I kind of, I wasn't going to be alarmed if I, you know, stopped running altogether. And then I found myself with so much free time, uh, in, in Thailand. And I thought, why don't I try my hand at, at a long race? I had just Googled like ultra running Southeast Asia and found this really unique race in Northern Thailand. And and it just was my hobby. It was essentially just a trial, you know, something to to train for on the weekends and do these like crazy, gorgeous six hour runs. Uh, it's like, oh, and just in an in, in insane climate. If anyone's like, you know, been, you know, think of the most tropical place you've been to. And it's essentially like ultra running in that type of a climate. Um, and I fell in love with it. <laughs> I didn't think I was going to, but it really reshaped my understanding of what running is and what it can be and how personal it can be. No, I, no one was making me do that. Um, you, you know, in Thailand, I was really just doing it on my own and, and all my peers around me were like, you're totally crazy. Like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I, I regained sort of a purpose in my running that I, I really just love to explore. Um, and, and that's what ultra running and trail running has, has opened my eyes to and just completely reshaped my perception of the world and, and how we move in it. Yeah. I heard you, I've heard you say before that like, if you ever find yourself really dreading to go out on the trails or do what you're doing here, like you might need to reevaluate your purpose, you know? Yeah. I think it's, it's a privilege to be able to run, to be healthy and you know, no one's making us do this. Right. <laughs> yeah. When you said you fell out of running though, and then you signed up for the 50, was it a 50 K or a 50 miler? Uh, it was about 50 miles. It's 80 K. Yeah. So did you go from like not running at all? I mean, obviously you've run your whole life, but like, were you running mm-hmm. at all? And did you just throw yourself back into it or were you not running? at um, all? Yeah, I should clarify. I, <laughs> so I graduated, I graduated college and I, I was running through the end of college. Like I ran all four years. Yeah. Um, and, and then I moved to Thailand three days later, um, from New Jersey to Thailand. And <laughs> so there, there honestly wasn't that much of a break cause, cause I had run through, I think I ran in the Ivy league, uh, like in the league meet that spring. So I I maybe took a little bit of time off when I was first moved to Thailand. Um, I just had no structure, you know. So to me, in hindsight, I 
there were probably weeks or maybe, maybe it was a month or so, but where it was like, Oh, I wasn't really running, but I, I totally was. <laughs> right. I've taken lot longer actual breaks. Like during college, I couldn't run for 10 months, um, due to a knee injury. So, you know, like that's actually not running. And, and, and in this way, it was just like a mental break, but, but I definitely was running cause I only had one pair of shoes with me and, uh, the, the shoes were actually like taken from, from where I was living on this like school campus outside my door. Uh, and I was devastated. I remember I was like, no, like this is like the one thing I need. Cause I was like very far away from a town where I could buy legit running shoes. Um, and you can't like get Amazon, <laughs> you know, not yeah, ordering stuff. Uh, so, so I was devastated for, for a few weeks. I didn't have my running shoes. I remember that. And then some students found my shoes like in the forest behind the <laughs> It was really bizarre. <laughs> oh my gosh. Why did you go to Thailand? Um, like what was the I, thought process? Yeah, I applied to this uh, intern, or uh, it was a fellowship program called Princeton in Asia, and it it's places teachers all around Southeast Asia who are f- newly graduated from college. And I actually had two options. I was either going to go to CU to use up my eligibility because uh, I had quite a bit of eligibility left. Um, and, you know, try and get a master's or something. <laughs> um, so that would have been a very standard path, you know. Um, and then I got this teaching fellowship and it was this thing where it was spring, my senior spring, I was just so like deep in sort of the academics, but also the running and just kind of unhealthy, not sleeping much, just um, I, I went a little bit off the rails and so it seemed fitting to just go do like the most like crazy thing possible. Um, you know, like going, I didn't feel ready to go back to Colorado yet, which is where I'm from. Um, and I eventually knew that I would end up back in Colorado, which I am now. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I was ready to travel basically. I was ready to learn, you know, see the world. And you call yourself an environmentalist. Is that a good way to describe your passion? Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah. I want everybody to go listen to your episode with Tina Muir because you guys talk a lot about that on that episode. And we probably Mm -hmm. won't get into it as much here because I really want to talk about Western states and trail running and all that. But um, Claire's doing a lot of really important good work. Do you kind of just want to real quick, though, um, in case people don't head over to that interview, just give a like a brief mm-hmm. brief synopsis of of your passion for the environment and where that stems from and what you what your hope is. Yeah, sure. I'll try and make it really succinct. <laughs> um, but uh, essentially, I feel I have a, a immense duty as both a professional runner spending so much of my time outside, um, and traveling and, and witnessing climate change firsthand, um, from, you know, increased rockfall and instability in the mountains and glacier melt, um, to seeing people like the Gwich'in in Northern Alaska, um, having their food security at risk due to climate change and the threat of oil drilling because of our wildly corrupt current administration. Um, essentially I'm constantly reading and, 
learning and trying to engage with with our democracy in America and how how we can solve this climate crisis. Um, I studied the impacts of climate change on coral reefs in college. So uh, that was my first true taste of, of how of what a true crisis this is. Um, and it's it seems like it's all doom and gloom, but I, I find that as runners, we have this really unique opportunity to use our passion for our passion mm-hmm. of running to um, to have a productive and and civilized discourse of like how important things like clean air are to us. You know, that's not a partisan issue. Um, everyone deserves to clean, breathe clean air. And um, so, what are we doing to to make it happen? And right now, we need to be doing a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You run. Yeah, and, um, go ahead. I recommend people go to um, this organization. It's sort of geared towards athletes. It's called Protect Our Winners. Um, that's a climate change organization I feel most strongly about. Um, and also the brand Patagonia that's taking their supply chain seriously. You know, as consumers, we should be buying products that aren't doing more harm to the world. And, and, um, and Patagonia actually walks the talk with that. So cool. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask you about that. You're sponsored by Patagonia, but I've heard you say, and I know that that's like a big part of their brand. That's like their whole mission. Mm-hmm. But, and I've heard you say you're a global ambassador for them though. So what does that mean? Like what does being a global ambassador mean, but are you sponsored by them? Paint that picture. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's really new. Um, Patagonia, like many things they've done and will continue to do doesn't really see athlete the way most other brands see athletes. Um, They call us ambassadors in the first place because like Yvonne Chouinard, the founder, just like thinks it's kind of weird to have (laughs) (laughs) athletes. Um, And and the culture just it permeates throughout that um, you live the the lifestyle. You know, it's way less about marketing. Um, It's about the ethos of living lay on the land and Um, and so you can see that across all ambassadors, but then they've recently, uh, tasked a few of us with being global sports activists, um, which means we work for the company as well, um, as being ambassadors and, and there are like five surfers right now around the world who've been doing it for a while. And I'm relatively new and Tommy Codwell is, um, also a, a global sports activist and he's, if people don't know who Tommy Codwell is, I highly recommend Googling him. <laughs> uh, one of the world's best rock climbers of all time. Uh, so it, it's really neat to be able to work with these insane athletes. Um, you know, these surfers in Australia and Chile are, are like phenoms, um, but who are, our, our goal is to put that energy into, into our sports communities. Like what are our sports communities and as runners doing to, to make this world a better place. Um, you know, we get so, so much from running and trail running and ultra running or track running or road running. And, um, how are we leaving this world a better place? So our kids, um, and grandkids can again, breathe clean air. (laughs) So you've been with them for how long? Uh, since 2016, no, 20, no, 2017. Yeah. Two years, I think. Yeah. Okay. So when you, when you ran your first, when you ran that first race, that first, uh, ultra in Thailand, Mm -hmm. did you run it really fast? Like, did you win? Did you, were you like, Oh, Oh. I'm like pretty good at 
distance running? <laughs> <laughs> well, this race is, was really unique. Well, it's not unique and it's in a way a classic ultra where I think, I don't know how many people started. I think like 45 people started the race and something like 20 finished it. Oh, wow. It was pretty, it was pretty brutal. And two women finished it. I, I won, um, you know, but it's, it's like place doesn't even matter sure. in a race yeah. like that. Um, and I mean, it's by far my slowest 50 miler. Um, it took me like 12 hours and, and yeah, I didn't really, I know enough, I knew enough about ultra running at the time. Like I knew I followed the scene a little bit from afar, just cause I've been a fan of like mountain endurance sports, um, even as a collegiate, you know, track runner. And, and so I knew that I don't, I didn't know how I would stack up, you know, I'm like, okay, this is one race, but I would actually have to do a really competitive race to know mm-hmm. if, if it's like something I'm legit at. And, and I didn't really, I didn't care to be honest. I was like, okay, that was cool. You know, maybe I'll do more when I move back to Colorado. Um, and, and I did, that's exactly what I did. <laughs> you, yeah. you have this like, and I think anybody who's listened to you interviewed anywhere ha- can gauge the sense of like laid back nature to you. Um, <laughs> and that so much more in your life matters than just running. Uh, but you have to have like a competitive nature because you went and you won Leadville in 2016. You just won Western States. Like how do you, how do those things kind of morph together being laid back and being (laughs) fierce enough to win these like really prestigious races? Yeah. Well, that's kind of you. Yeah. The people closest around me, I think actually are kind of appalled at my competitiveness. (laughs) (laughs) It's almost something that I I've had to, um, like not bottle up, but in a way bottle up and really store it for, for things where it's useful, like races, Mm -hmm. um, because I can be insufferable, like playing board games, to be honest. (laughs) Like I, like I can't stand myself. Because you want to win so bad. (laughs) Yeah. I I was, I have two older brothers and, uh, with people with older, especially like girls with older brothers know often you're raised in a competitive environment that's just like my family's really really competitive um and and so I've had to learn where and when I use that energy (laughs) and over the past few years since I've been able to to categorize that energy pretty much just in races it's it's been really useful um you know and and then try and just maintain uh yeah laid backness and and the rest of the things that don't matter. But, um, I'm, I'm trying to transfer a lot more of my competitiveness to my activism. Um, Mm. and I think as 2020 rolls around, um, I just feel it coming more. Like there's so much at stake. Um, like I, I'm more nervous for, for the fate of like the earth come 2020 than, than really any race. So then winning restaurant states again. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> okay, so okay, correct me if I'm wrong, but these are the wins that I have or lit that are like the biggest deal. Leadville, CCC, way too cool, 50k, and Western States are those kind of like your four most prestigious wins? Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Okay, so mm-hmm. I want to mm-hmm. talk about the difference between these races, like, is because <laughs> a lot of people listening 
are into like they like to follow ultra running a little bit, but I would say my audience is a little more geared towards marathon fans or like track and right. field fans. So like I want to kind of know, okay, Western States, I think the outside world looking in to the ultra world views that as like, okay, Western States is like the king of all or queen or whatever you want to call it of all of those ultra events. But like, what's the competition like in Leadville compared to Western States? Yeah, that's a great question. So Leadville, it really depends on the year. Um, with Western States, why it's sort of crowned as the Super Bowl of ultra running is because you always have a really, really deep elite field because the top 10 from each year are invited back. They get um, an automatic in. And then there's this really competitive um, qualifying series of races. So you have every year in both the men and women's race, like 30 well, at least at least 20 men and women who could theoretically get top three. <laughs> mm. So it's it's yeah. wild how deep it is. So so you have that. But then with Leadville, it doesn't it doesn't have that same structure um, it, at all. Uh, so it some years Leadville, it just so happens that, you know, like five amazing guys or or women sign up, but then other years it's, you know, there's not much of a race. So it, it really depends on the year. This year is actually going to be really exciting. Um, and from the women's race, both, um, Magda Boulay, mm -hmm. who listeners would, would know, um, is racing. And then Kat Bradley, who mm -hmm. won Western States two years ago. So to have two big names like that, um, for Leadville is kind of a big deal. Um, yeah, but, but, you know, you can, compare your performance through the history of the race because the race has been happening since the 80s so so that's what's useful yeah and we should mention and you correct me if I'm wrong that you ran the second fastest time at the age of 24 is that right mm -hmm. yes yes yeah. so, and Trayson that's crazy do you follow mm -hmm. like do you read about Ann Trayson back in the day is she someone I, I've emailed a couple ultra runners and they're like, she's the mm. legend of ultra running. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Even when I did it, I was super naive just as a 24 year old, but I still knew who Ann Trayson was. I mean, you, all you have to do is look at the results of Western States and Leadville and you just see her name mm. like mm -hmm. 50 times as mm -hmm. the winner. Um, her record is, is still, it's so, so stout at Leadville. Yeah, um, so it's super cool to have a matriarch like that um, to to run after. Yeah, yeah, because your time nineteen twenty seven, right? Uh, Leadville, it was nineteen flat. Yeah. Okay. Oh, nineteen flat. And she mm -hmm. is she like an hour? Is her time an hour faster, or is it what? Yes, yeah, about you it was like eighteen and change. So I was like fifty minutes and change slower. Um, which is crazy because the race has so been happening fast. a long time. Yeah. And I think that this, the, the time after mine is around 1930. Oh, wow. Uh, so, so really, Leadville's kind of unique in that regard where it hasn't been that stacked up time-wise in the women's races. Um, Rob Carby came really, really close last year to beating the, the men's record. Um, and, and the course has slightly changed in the last few years. Um, 
it's like added some trail and sections and road and sections. So it's slightly different, but on the whole, um, ultra runners usually just like chalk up those differences to, to nothing. Sure. <laughs> so, so the records still stand and, and that's sort of what we go for. Yeah. Do you have a desire to go after that for record? Uh, yeah, I would, well, I would love to run Leadville again and, um, it's basically my backyard in a way it's, mm-hmm. uh, backyard is a loose term. It's about two hours away from Boulder where I live, but, um, I'm there pretty much every weekend in, it's called the Sawatch range. Uh, it has a ton of 14ers, um, around Leadville and 14ers are mountains over 14,000 feet. So mm-hmm. it's really, really high, just like gorgeous Alpine, a ton of wilderness areas. So it's pretty pristine. Um, uh, once you get away from sort of the mining, the mining, old mining heritage side of things. Um, yeah, I would love to go back just to, just to run that race again. Um, but it's also a hundred miler and I have to be very careful with how many hundreds I do. (laughs) Yeah. Is, have you just done two? No. Yeah. Two. Yeah. This was the the second one I finished. I, um, I started, uh, UTMB, the hundred miler around Mont Blanc in Chamonix, France last year, but, um, I DNF'd, I didn't finish at uh mile. I dropped out at mile 50. So, so yeah, this was, oh, and, and I ran 93 miles of Western States two years ago and, and, and then DNF'd at mile 93. Okay. That's where I want to go <laughs> so, next. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, I know it. it's, yeah, it's kind of a, it's a tough uh, finishing rate yeah, <laughs> for hundreds for me, but I guess when it, when it works, it works. When it works, you win. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, friends, I'm going to jump in real quick and thank a sponsor for this episode. And that is Sweaty Betty. I am living in their apparel, like living in it right now. I was super pumped when Sweaty Betty signed on to sponsor the podcast because I've been wearing their clothes for several years now. And I've always wanted to align with them. So this was great timing. I should tell you like three years ago, I think it was when I got my first pair of power leggings, I sent them a proposal to be a sponsor for my podcast. Three years later, we're finally making it happen. So if you haven't tried any of their apparel yet, I would go with trying the power leggings first because they are amazing. They are bum sculpting and they fit so perfectly. They rise up like right over my belly button at that perfect spot. And actually last night we were furniture shopping because my father-in-law was in town and he babysat our kids. So what did we do? We went to look for couches and Glenn was like, I can't stop looking at your butt. It looks so good in those leggings. (laughs) So I guess that's me telling you they work. They stay in place. They don't slide down. I'm wearing this like short little shirt with it, but even though it's a midriff shirt, the leggings are high enough that they go up high enough that my belly's not actually showing. And I think it looks super cute. The power leggings are multi-sport. I can wear them to run in. I'm actually going to be wearing them to Pilates today. And I actually wore them all day yesterday as well. So I'm actually day two power leggings right here. I want you guys to check out Sweaty Betty and get in on this goodness because it's just too comfortable. It's too good to be true, really. Go to sweatybetty.com. And use the code ANOTHER to get 20% off your order. Again, that's sweatybetty.com. And use the code ANOTHER for 20% off your order. 
I will put a link to that in the show notes at lindsayhine.com. All right, friends, let's get back to the show. Enjoy the rest of my conversation with Claire Gallagher. Okay, so you've you've started for Finish 2. Um, mm-hmm. And so Western States this year, you won. But I want to talk about when you dropped out at 93, though, because what what happened in that race? So that must have been, what, 2017? Correct, yeah. Okay, so what happened? Why did you drop out? Yeah, so... That's so far <laughs> into the race. I was... Oh, it's just awful. Um, I was having actually a really great race. I had moved into third place um, in the last like 40 miles um, and was just chugging along. And I had a ton of problems that day. So I was very proud of of like getting into third place and just holding on. Um, and over the last 20 miles, like something in my leg fell off and, but it's, it's a hundred mile race, you know, everything feels off. (laughs) And, and, um, essentially around mile 89, I, I couldn't bend my leg anymore. And what happens I found out in hindsight is I developed a Baker's cyst Hmm. behind the back of my knee, which is relatively innocuous, uh, just like in normal life. Um, but when it happens over the course of like one day, um, it, it essentially just locked up my leg and I had a bunch of like hamstring and calf tightness, um, around it. And, and so I started walking then I was limping then I was crawling. Um, and it, it, by the time I got to mile 93, I was well, well, like out of, I don't even know how many women had passed me, um, lots. And, and it was like 3am I was freezing and, and the med people, my pacer go grabbed some medical people and they, they, they basically grabbed me and, and that was it. Cause I was just like sitting on the trail. Oh my god! <laughs> Unable to really stand up. Yeah. It was pretty rough. I mean, especially after seeing those seven miles this year, but, but this year, I mean, I barely remember those seven miles cause I was running so out of my mind. Yes. <laughs> So, okay. Yeah. So let's talk about that. That's some redemption. The last seven, you got some redemption from that year this year in the last seven miles. Yeah. So for everybody listening, um, Claire, you took the, okay. I want to talk about the whole, the race itself. Okay. The whole thing. So when did you pass Courtney DeWalter? Who's the reigning champion? And then I know Brittany Peterson came up on you at like mile 93, which is like so close to the finish in a hundred mile race. So kind of give everybody the storyline there because it's just way too exciting for a hundred mile race. Yeah, it's it's really exciting. Like most ultras are not this exciting. So uh, Courtney DeWalter was um, well in the lead all day and, and she is the reigning champ. She's sort of, she is, like women's ultra running right now. She's so, so strong. And, and so I was in second all day, um, which I was very pleased with, to be honest. I was just like having a good time by myself. And, and I passed her at mile 80 and she had to drop due to a, seems like a pretty bad hip, um, injury. And, and then I thought I had like 10 minutes on Brittany Peterson, which, was kind of a decent padding and, and I was moving, like I was not running slowly. I mean, you know, I moved into the lead (laughs) and, and at mile 90, I, I couldn't see anything behind me and it was still light out, which was incredible. Um, 
we are moving very well just as a field. I knew Brittany was behind me. I knew Casey Lictite, also a, a former winner, winner of Western States, was in third. But I kind of was like, oh, I have 10 miles to go. I'm sure I have this um, in the bag. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it gets dark and it gets dark just like instantly. Um, and I have my headlamp on for maybe a mile. And then out of nowhere – Mile 93, right before this Highway 49, um, Brittany comes up and passes me with, you know, a strong pass with her pacer. And and I basically went from feeling sorry to myself, sort of like, oh, just like finish these 10 miles. Come on, Claire, to just like a feral creature. <laughs> like I just completely changed personalities. Um it, because then it became a race, you know, the race at not just any ultra, but like Western States, you know, mm. it's just crazy. And yeah, so we ran together or we were hiking uphill actually for a mile and then hit this aid station at 94. And I made the move to not stop. I, I dropped all the excess gear in my pack. Um, had one a little bit of Coca-Cola left in one soft flask and did not look back. <laughs> yeah, and you gained 11 minutes in that six miles. That's a lot of time in six miles, isn't it? Yeah, I, I still don't really know how I was able to put that much time on her. Because um, Brittany's fast. Uh, she and I both have have speed for, for being, mm-hmm. you know, 100 milers as well. And, and... Yeah, I was redlining. It honestly felt like I was back on the track, like in a way. There's some relatively flat sections in the last um, six miles that there's also a 1,500 foot climb, like, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and, but during those flat sections, um, I was like, man, I feel like I'm running like sub seven minute pace. And, and it wasn't quite sub seven minute. Well, I did have one sub seven minute mile <laughs> in those last six miles. At Which like mile is, uh, 97 of 100 miles. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And That's crazy. I honestly was just like grateful to my to my speed work training and, and sort of, you know, still having that fast twitch in me. And I was just like thanking my coach, David Roach, because he really emphasizes speed. Um, and I'm like, yes, like, I'm so glad I did those strides like all spring. <laughs> oh my gosh. Do, is that the 1500 yeah. meter climb that you mentioned, is that something that normally in this race, like most people hike it? Oh, for sure. I think they're even in the, like the top 10, both men and women, I'm guessing the majority of people were hiking that. Just you and Jim Walmsley yeah. were racing up it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I in the in the last in the last six or ten k, um, only two people beat my time, and it was Jim. I was a minute behind Jim's wow. time. In the yeah. last ten k, only one minute behind Jim's. Yeah, wow. Which I'm like, what? And then um, another insane. guy, Patrick Regan. So whoa. <laughs> and Jim and everybody should note if you don't follow ultra running that Jim like broke his own course record. So you. You ran mm-hmm. faster than that. That's crazy. Um, yeah, Jim was running pretty scared too. Oh yeah, um, that was close too. What, how far did he? How? Because the second place guy also broke his course record, right? Yeah, uh, it was less than twenty minutes. Jim won by. I'm pretty sure. 
Which is not that, I mean, compared to last year. Yeah. It's honestly really close. Yeah. Wow. Anything within a half hour is is crazy in an ultra. And then in the the women's field, it was just insane. I mean, there was a a track, a sprint finish for fifth and sixth place. Insane. Um, Insane. Yeah. That is like, what is that? You should be able to get to that track and just jog it in. You know, ultra running can be entertaining. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. So I want to hear you talk about like how supportive Courtney was when you passed her Mm -hmm. and just kind of like that camaraderie you, all you ladies experience out there. Yeah. Courtney's so rad. So um, I'm sure people wonder, cause she's so, so popular. Like, Oh, is it, is it real? You know, is she that like chill? And I actually knew Courtney, we raced each other in 2015 at this like super random 50 K in this tiny town called Cimarron. And, and I had no, we didn't know each other then, but Courtney was literally wearing long mm-hmm. basketball shorts. <laughs> then, you know, neither of us are sponsored. Like we, we are like, we have no idea what ultra running really is. And neither of us won. Like she got second. I got third. <laughs> She's Who drinking beat you guys? And, um, actually, her name's Gina Lucrezzi. And she's the founder of Trail Sisters, okay. which is an amazing website and resource for women looking to get into trail running. Okay. Um, it's just incredible because it's pretty intimidating. You know, you're like, what is trail running? What is mountain running? Like what? Um, and she, there's just like this big blog and, um, just really encouraging advice and things. So, um, yeah. So, and Gina's a great runner. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, clearly she beat you and Courtney. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Courtney is the real deal. She's so genuine. And so when, we actually ran the first four miles together of Western States. We were just chatting and, mm-hmm. and laughing. And then when I passed her, she, it was clear she was going to drop and yeah. so she was essentially limping and, and she just was like, yeah, Claire, like go get that cougar. Aww. Like you're rock, you know, just was, gave me chills. Um, and yeah. And she's, she just is like that, you know? And, and I think that's, rem, that's representative of, of where women's ultra running is right now. Like everyone is so supportive. I mean, it's almost like there's literally like, there's not drama, you know, Mm -hmm. and (laughs) it's, it's so cool to see how excited we are for one another. Um, you know, Casey Blicktight getting third. It's just, it's so great to see, to see these women just crushing, um, yeah, just, just down the line. So, uh, and I, I think it's similar in men's, but you know, I'm, it's, it's just really cool, like to see my peers crushing and, and being so supportive of one another. All that being said, was Courtney the one to beat? Like if you wanted to win Western States, were you like, I have oh. to beat Courtney? Oh yeah, okay. for sure. And, and, and she made it clear. I mean, once the race began, it was like, oh, Courtney's going to run away with this. Mm-hmm. She a half hour ahead of the course record, I think at one point, and she was basically a half hour ahead of me most of the race. Um, and so it was like, Oh, yep. Courtney's going to win again. Uh, somewhat similar to how Jim has been so dominating. Mm-hmm. And, and so when Courtney dropped and, and it became this very, very close race, um, it's, it's, it was great. I mean, it was also great that we ran so fast. Um, 
just goes to show that, you know, you actually have to, you have to finish the whole hundred. Like mm-hmm. a lot can happen past 20, you know, just like where you are at mile 60 or mile 80, it, it, it honestly doesn't really matter. <laughs> like it's a hundred mile race, you know? Yeah. People say so, anything can happen in a marathon. Let's talk about a hundred miles. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you see people come from, you know, 30th place who get top five. Like that happens all the time in ultra running, which just shows the strategy and the experience plays such a big role in these long races. Um, just cause you have so, so many more variables to that can go wrong. And so how you react to these variables, um, is everything. Okay. So you mentioned your coach, David Roach, is it Roach or Roush? Roach? Roach. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So you mentioned your coach, David, tell me how you got connected with him when you, and when you decided it was time to have a coach. Yeah. Oh, I love David. I was just talking to him this morning. Uh, he's the best and, uh, his, yeah, his coaching philosophy is some work all play. So love that. the acronym is swap. Yeah. And he just wrote a book with his wife. Who's also a coach called the happy runner. Is that out Highly yet? recommend it. Yeah, it okay. is. Okay. Yeah. Highly recommend it. But, um, I, he actually, so he writes for trail runner magazine. He's a great writer. And he wrote an article about me after I won Leadville in 2016. And, and he was sort of, you know, inquiring, he's like, wait, how did you do this without a coach? Mm. And, and I was honest, I was like, I haven't had a coach since college. I just really loved sort of running on my own terms. Um, you know, basically for, for myself, um, I didn't, it was nice to not have someone telling me what to do for those years after college. And, and he was like, okay, if you ever want to coach, like, <laughs> let me know. And, and I was like, okay, thanks. Thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> and, and then six months later, uh, I found myself just like having no clue what to do. Like, I don't, I'm not that well-versed in, um, physiology and, and, and training, frankly, I'm just not, um, I, it's just not a priority, I guess, to learn about it. And so I realized, okay, I need to outsource this. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and I called up David and it's been since, yeah, 2016, really the end of 2016, early 2017, we've been working together and, um, I owe a lot of my success to him. Uh, I, I really believe that. Um, just cause he like can understand how every runner is so unique. Um, and so, and I'm honestly pretty difficult to coach because I, <laughs> I go off grid a lot. Uh-huh. Like I can't check in. I get, I, I get, um, injured, but can recover really quickly. I, I, like all those things are like kind of annoying, you know, and he just like calmly sits by and just, just like, it's okay. Just like do one workout a week, you know, one good long run. And, and that type of guidance has made all the difference in my life. Like I, I love running so much. Um, and I think a lot is because of his guidance. Is that your strategy for the most part? Do you do one like speed session and one super long run? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty simple. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and yeah, I'm on Strava. And so it's like, anyone oh, can see, I, yeah, I'm a pretty low mileage ultra runner. Um, what is low mileage? I, uh, I, the most I did leading up to States, I think was an 80 mile week. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, 
That is yeah. for, yeah, I mean, my husband um, runs like 70 miles a week and he doesn't train for anything. He just runs. Yeah, that's but it's yeah, super fun. impressive. Um, I think my average was somewhere around like probably 65, 70 mile weeks. Leading is that up because to of state. injury or what? It just like is what works. That's mm. what we found. And, and yeah, I do really dabble into injury and overtraining zone after mm-hmm. 80. Um, and that's, it's because a lot of those miles are quality. Um, one good workout a week. And it's, it's very reminiscent of, of a road or of a road runner workout, um, like 10 by one minute intervals on, you know, the bike path. Okay. Uh, things like that. And then, and then I'll do just like normal, I don't know, eight to 12 mile runs with a bit of strides easy. And then one long run, which is anywhere from like 15 to like 30 miles. Um, and yeah, I mean, a lot of people, I know a lot of marathoners, you know, run 120 mile weeks and it's just, I find trail running to be, it's a lot more taxing on our stabilizing muscles. And I, do like to run technical trails pretty regularly just to keep that skill set honed. So it just takes a lot more out of you. You know, a 10 mile trail run is like, can be a total epic compared to a 10 mile run on the, on the roads. So I think that's where this like sweet spot of like 70 mile weeks has, has come in. Yeah. So when you say you do 15 to 30 mile long run, are you doing those like, I'm just thinking to prep for a hundred miles. Like, do you do those back to back sometimes to like build that mile tired, you know, build tired legs? Yeah, I have in the past, but I have found that to not just, it just hasn't worked that well for Mm. me to, to get way, way too tired, um, two days in a row. And, and like, I'm, I'm kind of fragile to be honest. Like I hate to admit it, but I have, I have to come to terms with it that when I've done like a 20 miler and a 25 miler back to back, I like often something happens then the next week. So, so usually I'll do, you know, a a 20 miler like for a long run on a Saturday. And then on Sunday I'll run like 10 miles really easy. Okay. Um, yeah. And, and again, this isn't other ultra runners, can handle a lot more volume. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think it's, it's worthwhile, like anyone who's interested in getting into the sport to, to really thinking about like, how long do you want to be in this sport? Because I, David and I are both like well aware that like, I just can't risk overtraining syndrome. I like want nothing to do with it. Oh, Cause you love <laughs> and, running so much. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's really easy to fall into um, I think doing too much because this thing, the hundred miler seems so big. And, and, and the reality is if you maintain your speed, you can get away with doing only a 30 mile run before a hundred mile race. Um, at least I've been able to. And, and so, um, yeah, like a 50 mile run before a hundred, I think is, is way too exhausting. Mm. <laughs> Would you yeah. ever do like a 50 mile race before a hundred or is that out too? Obviously it's the same, yeah, co- covering the same I, distance, but yeah, I've done it before. I did it before Western States two years ago, uh, a 50 mile race in Colorado called Quad Rock. And, and it was 
way too much. Mm. Like I was just toasted for weeks after it. And, and it makes sense. It's like when you get out of this like crazy ultra bubble, like, and you look at this from, you know, a, a high viewpoint, you're like, well, of course you're exhausted. You ran 50 miles. <laughs> Hard. Like, like, yeah, that should take, that should take, you know, months, plural to recover from. Um, so that's sort of mine and David's philosophy. And again, you know, you can look at other ultra runners and, and they will, they will say that it's possible to do it all. But, um, yeah, I'm like, no, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd rather show up undertrained and healthy to a race than, than overtrained or unhealthy and unable to start, you know, and then unleash the competitive beast inside of you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it takes so much mental energy to to finish a hundred miler, and that happens like from mile basically sixty to a hundred. And I think that requires like just so much extra stored up energy that that you're storing up essentially for like six months before an ultra. Um, you know, so you can't. I don't think you can get away with with running fifties and hundred K is like, Oh gosh, last summer I was so stupid. And, and so I, this has all been, been learned, learned that I can't do it all. I raised a hundred K in July, uh, because I needed points to run UTMB the hundred miler. And, and it was the same thing. It was just like, I was not recovered three weeks after that hundred K. It's so. ju- it's just <laughs> like, it's crazy to think how fresh this truly really all is still for you. I mean, you won Leadville <laughs> in 2016. It's only 2019 right now. It's just crazy. Yeah. Does well, it still that's... feel like, I mean, does it still feel like you're, I mean, technically you're in the infancy or you could consider this the infancy of your career with this. Yeah, I, I guess uh, it's just so weird to be honest. It is. Like it's it's just funny. I love um like the absurdity of ultra running is so hilarious and and I guess that I I feel like it keeps me pretty grounded and mm. um I would hope I feel that way years from now if I continue to have success. Um but but since my love for it is is really pure, like mm-hmm. I just love running with like these crazy other lunatics and <laughs> and being part of the scene. Like I was pacing another a friend this past weekend in a hundred miler, and you know it's just all so obscene. And then and then to have that like high level competition where when I'm racing, that's what I you know like to and and am able to compete in. Um, it's cool. Like it's it's cool. It's sweet. And I it's it's great. But, um, that's sort of just like the frosting of, of like this big cake that is ultra running for me. Um, so yeah, I, I see the cake expanding over time, you know, for sure. (laughs) Are you planning to run Western States next year? Oh, I actually can't say yet. (sighs) Oh, cause of sponsorship Uh, stuff or what? Oh, oh, no, no, no. Just because I don't know. Oh, just like in life. You're like, it's <laughs> yeah. only been a month, Lindsay. Yeah. Not even. Yeah. Or has it been a month? Yeah, and, it's been a month. Yeah. And it's, it's, I'm so, so lucky to be sponsored by Patagonia because they actually don't, don't incentivize yeah. their athletes. They don't care about racing at all. Um, so it's, it's literally just like whether I want to do it or not. It's and, so cool. And I, yeah, I think I'll know come winter time when I have to start gearing up again, 
um, yeah, then I'll know. When is Leadville, by the way? Uh, it's in three weeks. It's, it's uh, that August soon. 17th. It's, yeah, it's so exciting. I'm so will you go out there? Are you pacing anybody? Are you allowed, are yeah. you allowed to have pacers at Leadville? Yeah, you are from mile 50 to 100. Um, and it's an out and back. So there's just like similar to Western states. There's just so much energy so on fun. course. Um, yeah, I'll be pacing a friend who has taught me most of the things I know about ultra running. His name's Ryan Smith. Um, cool. He started the trail group. I, I run with in Boulder. So it'll be great. And he, he has a shot at winning. So I actually have to like get my speed back right now. Like, <laughs> you oh have my to gosh, run I fast. Need to go on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So you're you're pacing someone who could potentially win the men's race. Is he so you said your club you run with is that the Rocky Mountain Runners? Yeah, yeah. How many people exactly. are in that group? Uh there's there's a lot of us that are like loosely affiliated. Um like probably over a hundred. Uh but on any given we run we have runs throughout the week and the we do a run every Monday night. So like tonight we'll go to run up this mountain in Boulder called green mountain. And there'll be anywhere from like two people there to 30 people. You you just never know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then we all go to a a, a pub afterwards. And so there's usually more people eating food than running, but, um, yeah, it's, it's a rain or shine type of club. So, uh, like we've had, where a Monday has fallen on like Christmas or something before in a, in a, in a snowstorm. And there's always at least one person. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody will be there. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you, this is kind of like going back just a couple steps really quick, but when you were talking about doing your one workout a week and then doing the one long run, um, mm-hmm. my thoughts are just like, you still have to run pretty darn fast. You know, you won Mm -hmm. Western States. And when I talk to someone like Jim Walmsley, I know he's doing some pretty like sick track workouts. Like how do you maintain like that speed? Because are you running relatively quick compared to most people when you're out for just like a 10 mile trail run? Mm. Uh, yeah, like yes. The reality is yes. I, especially like when I'm doing a workout, um, Sometimes I'll recruit guys to run with me, um, but luckily I, I train with a girl, Abby Levine, I ran with in college, so she's mm. has, like, legit speed. She's, like, a 33-minute 10K runner. Okay. Um, yeah, so uh, I think it's really important because I know I have that fast-twitch muscle in my body just because of my running history and – and that's why I'll be when I'm doing one minute intervals, I'm basically going all out, you know, at, you know, at sub five minute pace mm-hmm. um, on a bike path. Like I'm I'm going all out for sure. Um, but then on a normal trail run, it really depends on my energy levels. Like sometimes I'll be crushing it um, and it'll feel easy. But then other times I'm like hiking half the time and walking. <laughs> sure. Um <laughs> Yeah. And I, I really love to, I've just gotten into, to doing hard, um, efforts that are shorter, like in, in, in trail running. And it's common, I guess, kind of in road running too. We have these things called FKTs, fastest known times. Mm -hmm. So it's really motivating. Like I went for a 13 mile FKT in Boulder, just on like our busiest trail called the Mesa trail and out and back. So this spring as, as a hard, like weekend effort instead of a long run. I just 
went all out on this 13 mile route and um and you know thanks to Strava you can see that like mm-hmm. I, ta- I tapped into like the top 10 of men and things so so when I'm doing those I'm like full on you know people on the trail are like oh my gosh this woman is so weird like what is she doing <laughs> <laughs> um but that's those are those situations are very um rare to my average my average run yeah 13 miles all out that's a long time to go all out <laughs> yeah and it has quite a bit of birds technical places so I think my time was um well it was, it was sub two hours it was like 145 um which it doesn't even compare to road running sure um, but yeah okay <laughs> I know you need to get to appointment I have a couple end of the podcast questions I always ask people so we'll get right to them everybody go listen to Claire's episode with Tina Muir on her podcast to hear more about her environmental activism because I know that's a big part of your story and I don't I don't by any means want to glaze over it but just having the hour I wanted to really get into western states oh yeah thanks so much yeah okay Claire what is one thing professionally or personally that you'd like to do that you haven't done yet I would like to Oh gosh, that's a great question. I would really like to get to Nepal. <laughs> I I would really love to see um, you know, the highest mountains in the world. Uh um and and I sort of every place I want to go to, I think of like when I think of what I want to do, it's basically like what do I want to see and witness before it's it's gone. Mm-hmm. Um so other things are like Glacier Glacier National Park in Montana. Um no, there aren't going to be glaciers there in the next few decades, which is just crazy due to climate change. So um, I want to explore and witness this world as it is today before um, we destroy it completely. <laughs> Have you been you've been there? Have you been to Glacier National Park? I haven't. No, really. That surprises no. me because you've just traveled I all know. over the world. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's there's lots of places to go to. Yeah. yeah. What's an accomplishment you're most proud of? Uh, I would say, um, I mean, running wise, uh, I'm pretty psyched on Western States right now. Um, but otherwise I, I really am proud of, of seeing runners come out of the cobwebs, talk about environmental issues. Mm -hmm. And, and I think, you know, having a little role in that is is something I'm really proud of and I want to work more on um I want I would love to see so many runners you know adding to making this world a better place and and sharing their stories because so many of us are doing things to make this world a better place and and livable and and I think being less shy about it um it would be great for the community and sport um yeah (laughs) Well, I normally ask what's the best, most recent book you've read, but maybe you can tell us what's the best book education wise to like learn more about this. Oh, there's so many, but I actually won't recommend a book, but I highly recommend everyone signs up for the New York Times climate newsletter. Okay. Um, which is because the key with climate change right now is so much is changing on a daily basis, um, the news and whatnot about it and, and how we can get involved politically, which is really the it kind of is the silver bullet right now in America 
is, is getting systematic government change around a renewable energy economy. And, and so reading things like the climate newsletter from the times is, is something to remind yourself of. There are little things we can do, like, you know, how to green your Christmas tree and things like that. But, um, (laughs) but also like why 2020 matters so much. Um, and, and, and this type of repetition, if you're reading about it on a regular basis, you, you realize that like how firm the science is, mm-hmm. you know, like there, there is no doubt that, that our burning of fossil fuels is, is causing our climate crisis. And so, um, then it's like, okay, you get that out of the way. Like, there's no doubt about this. <laughs> so now what do we do about it? Um, and I think that requires a, a practice reading things regularly about it. Um, how do you yeah. green your Christmas tree? <laughs> well, yeah, I found this really interesting. I mean, I don't like get a Christmas tree or anything, but um, it, there's there's research that shows that buying a Christmas tree from like a sustainable nursery, like an actual live tree, uh-huh. um, is actually can be better than than buying a plastic tree because these nurseries are essentially creating Christmas trees as like as commodity crops um, and they sequester carbon. And if you uh, get rid of it properly or plant it afterwards, then it's like a really win-win where a lot of people will buy just like more junk, mm-hmm. like plastic junk. And so if you keep your plastic Christmas tree forever and you like don't buy excess like plastic things for it, then maybe that's okay. But like you can't be buying a new plastic Christmas tree every five years. Like that's way, way worse <laughs> than, um, than buying a, a live Christmas tree and then either like composting it properly or planting it afterwards. Okay. Good to know. We, buy, yeah. we, we do real trees here, but I, even if I had nice. a plastic one, I don't think I'd want to buy one every five years because he wants to spend that kind of money. Oh, totally. Right. Totally. Like, oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. What is a nonprofit you like to support? I know you have plenty. Yeah, the best one is Protect Our Winners. Okay. Uh, yeah, I highly recommend. That's another newsletter. They don't spam. Um, and that will keep you informed of what's happening in your state. You know, there are these key states with um, with the politics around climate change and the and the laws. Um, and they... They lay it out like really simply in a couple paragraphs, every newsletter, like, okay, well, this is good. This is what Colorado's up to. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Two more. You can answer quick if you have to run. Um, I know you're not into celebrities or anything like that, but who is someone fun, <laughs> motivating or inspiring that you would like to have coffee, tea or cocktail with? And what drink would you have? Mm. Well, I've, I've been learning and reading a lot more about Jimmy Carter recently. And I know he's, I think, 94 right now. (laughs) Um, But he he did so much for our country that unfortunately, a lot of it has been um, undone by by uh, later administrations. But um, like he put solar panels on the White House when he was in office um, and they were removed by Ronald Reagan. Yeah. So long ago um, to be be like yeah. that ahead of the curve, yeah. Is you know just a brilliant, brilliant man with like true dedication to to making America, um, you know, sustainable and and smart. Um, and so I just want to say thank you to him, like 
you know, it's a shame that so much has been undone at the expense of people, you know, for these like crazy profits for executives, oil executives. But um, yeah, I, would, I, would, I just want to say thanks for putting the solar panels on the White House, even though they're not there anymore. <laughs> You're going to have to get on that if he's 94, because I don't know how much time he's got left. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I would have a margarita. Okay, oh, a margarita. <laughs> I bet he would have one with you, too. I mean, at 94, why yeah. not? Yeah. Uh, what is your one message that you'd like to send to the world? Uh, I would say uh, keep, um, you know, keep, keep trying to make the world a better place. It's, it's vague and cliche, but um, we need it. <laughs> we really, really need it. And, and for runners, I think that goes hand in hand with like keep on running because running is such a, a positive, like life changing activity. And I think we have to do that first and foremost, keep running. And, and I think it's within our running, we can find the energy and courage and, um, you know, inspiration to, to do those things that are, that are beyond ourselves. At least that's what I hope. <laughs> it's true. I, I know for sure that I'm a much better human being because I run. So that was like such an awesome answer because I just, you, you just have more energy and you're, you just feel yeah. better. Yeah. I, I want to like yeah. write this message all over to anybody who, <laughs> who doesn't run or, you know, maybe it's not running, maybe it's mountain climbing, maybe it's rock climbing, but yes, mm -hmm. it's so true. Yes. Thank you so much, Claire. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Like your kids are, are, you know, they're probably so much more proud. Well, they only know you as a runner, I yes. guess, but like, it's so cool to see these like badass moms, like yourself included with these kids, like seeing their parents grow up running. I, I love it. It's, it's really inspiring. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, I love that too. Like I love when, like my son my oldest son will be on the bike next to me on the trail and like I'll decide mm. I'm gonna like run my last mile super hard or something and he's like mom why aren't you talking anymore I'm like because I'm working really hard okay <laughs> and it feels good to have your kids witness that yeah yeah totally it's so cool wow I oh love that. thanks Claire well hey congrats again on western states and um excited to see what you do in the future have fun uh pacing at Leadville as well Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's really enjoyed talking to you. Awesome. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much, Claire, for coming on the show. Thank you, everybody who is listening. I appreciate each and every one of you. Check out Koala Clip. Go to koalaclip.com and use the code ANOTHER10 for 10% off. And make sure you check out Sweaty Betty, sweatybetty.com. And use the code ANOTHER for 20% off your order. If you enjoy this episode with Claire, if you're enjoying the podcast at all, the biggest way you can support the show is by sharing it with your running friends or the people you work with, your family, whoever, whoever you think might be interested. Don't forget, you guys, uh, Claire and I didn't get to talk too much about the environmental activism that she's doing, but she was on Tina Muir's podcast recently, and you can catch more details about that part of her life and what she's doing and how we can can make some simple changes over at Tina's podcast, The Running For Real Podcast. Check that out. If you guys are interested in following along with the podcast and my life a little bit more, what I've got going on, you can find me on Instagram. I'm lindsayhine626. If you want to see snarky tweets and 
me maybe complaining about my kids sometimes or talking about running or whatever, you can go to Twitter and find me there. I'm Lindsay Hine. And then we also have a Facebook page. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. Thanks everybody who's got a training plan. I worked really hard on those and I hope that you guys are enjoying the virtual training and that if you just bought a plan, but you're not doing the training, that the plan is just what you needed. If you want to find my training plans, I have both half marathon and full marathon plans. You can find those over in my shop on my website. Just go to lindsayhine.com and click on the shop and there's links to all those over there. All right. I couldn't be more thankful for you. Couldn't be more thankful that this is what I get to do every week. And I hope you're having a great Friday. Have a great rest of the weekend. And as always, I'll see you next Friday.